Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. Is he good? He's good. Man, I love it. You like that kind of worship? Some people might get bored. That's all right, you know. But man, I I hope you take those opportunities and, and take advantage of them and engage Christ in your heart. That's what it's about. Connecting with your Lord. Amen? Hey, my iPad's charging back there. Will you grab it for me? It's under the thing. That's what he wants. Uh, You know, I just saw, I could see that picture that Sally was talking about as well, that, you know, you think about John the Baptist, you think about people that saw Jesus, and when they recognized who he was, what it must have been like for them, you know? Because, thank you. Because they, you know, it it says that he looked just like everybody else. There was nothing special about his outward appearance that made people think that he was different than anyone. But when that revelation would hit, you know, John the Baptist, behold the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world, what that moment was like for him. And Peter when they said, well, you know, what's, what's Jesus like? What are they saying about me? What's going on out there? And he says, well, you know, some say you're Elijah. Some say John the Baptist. He's like, well, who do you say? Peter says, I say you're the Christ. You're the one. Can you imagine what it must have been like for them to feel that? And it's the same for us, really. But it's, it's almost like this continual thing that we get to see him. He's like this diamond that you just continually look at and you see more and more and more of who He is. You don't become more holy. You don't need to become more righteous. It's not like He gave you positional righteousness and now it's up to you to live up to that. No, you're holy. You're perfect. You're acceptable because Christ is in you. And the more you see Him the more you realize who you are. Have you found that to be true? You know, in this way of thinking, it's, it's different because, you know, gone are the days of you trying to get God to show up and make something happen, I hope. And it's about discovering who Jesus is. It's about discovering who you are in Him because you're a new creature. You know, when we were worshiping, I just could see Jesus teaching, and he was walking around, he was telling people, I no longer call you a servant. I call you a friend. I have made you friends. He says, because a servant does not know his master's business, but I have revealed everything to you that the Father has revealed to me. What? Think, I mean, think about that. And it didn't have to be that way. That's, that's one of my favorite things to do when I'm going through Scripture and you look at something that Jesus said, He makes this promise like this, or He makes this incredible statement. You know, it doesn't, He didn't have to do that. He could have just said, you know what, I'm going to go down there and I'm going to live right and I'm going to die and I'm going to open the door and it's up to them to get to heaven. But the door's open. 
No, he didn't. He said things like, all things are possible. He said, I will be with you. You have everything that the Father has given me. I will share everything I have with you. Man, do we really believe that? Are you experiencing that? Are you feeling that daily, on a daily basis? When the struggle hits, are you feeling that? Is that the first thing that comes into your mind? Or is it the lack, or the sickness, or the relationship, or the kids, or the world, or whatever's going on over the, overseas, or whatever it is, you know? When, you, when, when, when life comes at you, where do you go? Is it a reassurance of who he is in you? Or is it, let me redefine myself in light of the way I'm seeing the world? You know what I mean? We do that. We just, we give away who we are constantly by what we listen to, what we watch, who we talk to. It's like you have a conversation and you become a totally different person. Well, in this group, I'm this, this group, I'm that. And we, don't, we really don't even think about it. It's because on some level, we're not convinced in our heart completely of this new identity. He says, I've, you're, you're, no, you're not my servant. You're not a servant of God. You serve people, but you're in a relationship with God. The way you serve God is respond to the love that he has for you. That's, that's serving God, responding to his love, because it's love that then compels you in everything. So, you know, I, 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 this is like a religious decompression church. <laughs> this is religious detox. Maybe we should change the name from forward to religious detox church. Religious rehab. Yeah. <laughs> because we're actually trying to be convinced that we are these new creatures and not partially new and partially old and we still got to really kind of keep cleaning ourselves up a bit. Because the truth is, if you have Christ within you, you are a new creature. 2 Corinthians 5 is all about it. And it's not like you were restored back to what Adam and Eve were originally in the garden. Because they, were, they lost their righteousness. I don't think you can if you have Christ in you. They weren't, they didn't have eternal life. I mean, that was, what Jesus, that was what the Father said. He said, you know, because they've entered this state now, let's not let them have eternal life because, you know, it'll, that'd really be bad. That's really, that's my theological way of explaining that. You know, we, we are, back then, they didn't have the Spirit of God dwelling within them. I mean, think about it. The Spirit of God would show up and walk with them in the garden. You know, now we know God is everywhere, but they were not the kind of beings that we are now. We're different. Jesus was the firstborn of a new breed. And we are, as He is, so are we in this world. We're, we're this completely new breed of a type of being, and it's a spiritual, eternal, righteous, and holy being. 
That's, that's the image that you have been created in. Not that God looks like a human, but that, but that <laughs> you're created in His image in righteousness and true holiness. That's why you look like God. Because of what Jesus has done in you. And man, I tell you what, gone are the days of you trying to find the right person to get the right revelation to get what you think you've been lacking your entire life because you've forgotten that you're complete. You know, so Christianity is not about let me do better to become more. Let me keep God happy through my efforts. It's no, I need to believe the truth because as I believe the truth, everything else changes. My behavior changes. What I'm experiencing from God changes. You know, God's like a spiritual immune system. I mean, think about it. Your immune system is working right now whether you know it or not. Whether you try to make it happen or not, whether it's, you know, in... He's perfect in the way that he works. You know, our immune systems can be a little bit broken, so let's just say yours works perfectly. You think about that. You get sick, man, it goes. You're designed to heal. You are designed to, your body automatically knows what to do to start fighting whatever is introduced to it. And it works, and it goes, and it runs its course, and it makes things better, and it heals. That's how I see God. We don't have to do something for God to respond. He's like that spiritual immune system. I mean, I'm not trying to demean what he is. I'm just drawing an, an analogy of his character and how he works. He's always at work. He's always present. He's always seeking to bring life. I mean, that's the promise that we have, that his spirit is in us bringing life to our physical bodies. You know, so we judge ourselves as sick and, you know, I mean, I'm not trying to say that we should deny reality because we do experience sickness. But it's like, okay, now we've got to go to God to try to figure out how to get a healing. Really? I mean, that, that doesn't make any sense because the Spirit of God is alive and active and constant. You know, why would God, it says in 1 Corinthians that we can understand the things that are not seen clearly by the things that are seen. You look at the immune system. It's a physical method of healing. Is that better than what's spiritual? It's like the Spirit of God is constantly active. There's just subtle things that we have to change in our thinking about who we think God is and how He thinks about us. You've been given the mind of Christ. Jesus said He's revealed to you everything that the Father has revealed to Him. It's not about knowledge, yet we make trying to experience spiritual truth about a lack of knowledge. Okay, I need to be able to do this. Jesus said that I was supposed to go lay hands on the sick and cast out demons and, and heal people and have words. And I don't know how to do that, so I need to logically understand and figure this out. Let me get something in my brain, and then I can do something spiritual. No, I'm telling you, man. And you've probably all had these experiences where you've been in a situation and, and man, it, it, just, it just worked. You connected with God. I remember before I ever knew what casting demons out was, I was casting them out on the street because I had experienced them. And it just was like, okay, well, this is what you're supposed to do. You just, you just know. You know, I, I'm telling you, 
you don't really need to be taught anything. You just need to become confident in who God is in you because when you are in a situation where you need to lean on God and that confidence is there, He's there. He is for you. He is with you. He will never turn His back on you and He will always uphold His word. <clears throat> I, I, this is, it is, I'm just like a dog on the bone with this thing about helping us change the way that we see God. That's just, that's why we exist. That's, it's just why we exist because we, we, we need to be able to trust God because when you trust God, you know, and I really hate to even break it down, but when, what happens when you trust God is that your heart becomes open to Him you look to Him. You think about His ways. You look to Him for your answers. You start to, you know, expect Him to be active in your life. And guess what happens? You experience it. You know, the, we don't need to try to figure out how to get God to work. We need to stop limiting Him. See, as a Christian, there's nothing that you need to do to get to a better place with God. There's nothing that you need to do to become more spiritual. There's nothing you can do. I mean, if Christ is in you, you cannot become more holy than that. Now, you might outwardly live more holy, but that's temporary. The real you is, has been made eternal and is perfect. Y'all are looking at me like y'all have heard this before. You know, it's information, but when you go out there and you're looking at the bills or you're dealing with family situations or you're wondering what's going on in the world, is this what you really believe about yourself? Because there are plenty of things out there that will war against your identity. They will war against your mind, war against your authority. You know, we see that with Jesus. Jesus gets baptized. Behold... My beloved son, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And he goes out to the desert, and the very first thing the enemy comes at him with is, if you really are the son of God, you'll prove it this way. See, that's what the enemy does to you. He challenges who God says you are. It's like, and because of our lack of confidence, we entertain that, and it becomes a doubt, and then it becomes a hindrance, and it may or may not be something that you invite a demon into. You know, it, it's like the moment we begin to hear, are you really this? And, and I don't just mean physical things like healed or prospered, but just in who you are, your character, how you live life, how you communicate, what you expect. If you're full of the thoughts of Christ or not, if you have love for one another, you know, I mean, most of us have a thick layer of irritation, maybe a little bit of anger, maybe just even a little bit of sarcasm that you kind of have to peel through and it's like, oh, okay, now I can let that love out. I got, I got that stuff out of the way. Now I can love a little bit. And I want my first response to be love. I want love to come pouring out of me so dramatically that it's surprising to me because it's just God that we're just yielded to Him. See, so Christianity is not let me learn, let me grow, 
let me become something that I'm not now. It's, no, I just need to stay in this place of convinced of who I am. Because when you are, you are open to the Spirit of God and you will experience blessing in your life. You just will. It's the nature of God to be ready to come into an area that you let Him in by faith, by grace through faith, and let Him establish. See, we're, not, we're done with what's the next thing God's doing. We're done with, hey, there's a revival happening down there. Let's go get some. I mean, you want to go play in the revival, that's fine. I, don't, I, I said that worse than I meant it. <laughs> play in the revival. But it's like, you know what? No, we, we've got a responsibility to day by day experience His love for us, love those people that are in front of us. And then as that grows, you just walk that out. If God calls you to Africa, if God calls you to whatever, whatever it is, you know, we do those things. But, man, we just live in such a sense of self-doubt and self-judgment because we're constantly thinking that there's something else. There's more. God, I want the more. And I, I get that prayer because I want to experience more of what God has. Don't you? But don't let that statement make you believe that you currently lack in this moment. God doesn't have anything else to give you except what He's already given you in Christ. Now, He is in a relationship. He's alive. He's active. He's present. We are constantly in this state of revelation, of seeing and, and learning, and we do grow. But the kind of being that you are is not what's growing. It's your understanding. It's your confidence. It's your experience of seeing Him. Do you, you see the difference? What you are isn't growing. It's your experience of what you are that's growing. So spiritual warfare or identity warfare is not about let me chase devils. It's let me get myself to believe the truth. And if you run across a devil in the process, go see Vicky. She'll get you taken care of and, you know, get you on the right track. She knows how to deal with them and, and, and build you up in your identity. It's true. So, you know, spiritual warfare, here's what Jesus did with demons. I went and looked it up this week just to make sure I knew what I was talking about. And every time he cast out a demon, this is what he said. Go. And guess what they did? You know, fighting demons really isn't that hard if you know who Christ is in you. The tricky part is when you're helping other people. I'm going to preach Vicky's sermon here for a minute. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's even less about that entity and more about what's going on in your heart. Where are you? What are you, what is blocking you from believing the truth of who you are? I don't know, like this, this picture just popped into my mind of an apple tree that's just got deep roots and it's healthy and it's robust and it's full of fruit. 
and it's sitting there ashamed that it's not feeding people. And you know, we're, we're complete. We are full of fruit. It's time to just let it out. It's time to quit doubting ourselves, quit doubting the finished work of Christ, and love people. So spiritual warfare or identity warfare is not, I bind you, Satan. It's, oh, I'm so stupid. Wait, no, I'm not stupid. I have the mind of Christ. Real spiritual warfare looks like this. I just can't ever get it right. Well, you know what? I have the Spirit of God within me who leads me and guides me into all truth. You're replacing. You know, spiritual warfare is, you know, I, I, I guess I'm just always going to be this way. I'm just always going to do this. Well, the truth is, no, you're a new creature in Christ. You know, do you do that? Like, I know you've all been taught to do that. Go find the in him scriptures when you're dealing with something. Go and do it. But do you really do that? I mean, when you're sitting there in self-doubt and, and it's like you kind of, you're enjoying it a little bit maybe. I don't know. We're kind of twisted, aren't we? <laughs> we're sitting there. This, this makes sense to my flesh, so I'm just going to sit here and feel it. And the flesh is a way of thinking, by the way. It's like when you're in your own strength, you're in the flesh. <clears throat> so real, true spiritual warfare is, is just in a couple of verses, and it's 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4. You can flip over there. You know, it, it's about replacing. Now, this means that you, you do need to get in the Word. There are some classes. There are books. You know, there's blog posts. I've, it's interesting. I've got a blog post on my web. I don't really do a lot of blogging. I should do more. But I've got this one blog post, and it's called uh, God Says Yes. And then, or I think it's God Says Yes to Over 3,000 Promises or something like that. Man, people are hungry because that one blog post gets about 100 hits a day. It's crazy. And, and, and they just, the, the list, you can see what people searched to get to that particular page. <clears throat> And it's people are looking for good news. They're looking for truth. They're looking for the promises. What is it that God told me? What, what, what am I supposed to be thinking? What am I supposed to be believing, you know? It's this. So that's my question. That's my homework for you to begin today and do for the rest of your life is... <laughs> is that too hard? Fail. Fail. <laughs> uh, when, you know, the moment you recognize you're running that pattern of self-doubt, doubting the finished work of Christ, what's the truth? And begin to meditate on that. You know, and that can turn into a work because you're not trying to get God to do something and you're not trying to become that truth. You're just trying to create the right environment within your heart so that you'll experience that truth. That, that's the paradox of Christianity. He's given you everything but it has everything to do with where you are in your heart, whether or not you're going to experience that stuff. It's like the immune system. Everybody has the potential to develop diseases. They, we all have carcinogens and all types of stuff going on in our bodies. And most of us, our immune systems are just wiping that stuff right out. But whatever your internal physical environment is conducive to is what will develop. 
In other words, whatever's going on in your body biochemically is going to give place to things developing, whether it be disease or whether it be health. The internal overall condition of what's going on inside your body, your blood, all that stuff determines are you the right kind of host to host health or disease just on a physical level. That's like our heart. You've been given a new heart. You've been made perfect and holy, but where you are in this world, your heart is that environment. What are you doing? Where, what's the condition of that heart? What, are, what, are you, what kind of host are you? Are you a host for the fear of the world to take root? Or are you a host for the promises of God to take root? Which one? And, and we're different in different places and different levels of confidence in, confidence in different things. You know, the halt, the, the, halt, the heart is multifaceted, it's dynamic. But love doesn't fail. You know, it's like, I just, that's why we kind of, that's why we have the kind of worship that we do is we just want to bathe you in the truth. You know, just bathe your heart. Just saturate your heart with truth. Just saturate your heart with expectation of good things, of seeing this kingdom grow and manifest in your life. You know, you, and you're not even supposed to take and do anything with the kingdom. We're just supposed to let it increase in our lives. It's like, I established a homeless feeding. I grew the kingdom. You didn't grow the kingdom. If you love those people and you fed them and good ministry happened, that's the kingdom increasing. But God's kingdom is not of this world. It's not through efforts. It's not through programs and systems, you know, those might be avenues through which the kingdom does increase. But that, that's really all that's, that's, what, that's all that there is for us as believers is to be conduits, to be hosts of the kingdom, to increase through us. You look at the world, you know, over the last 2,000 years, it's gotten better. I mean, I realize we've got some really horrific things going on. And if you watch the news, they will make you think that's the only thing going on in the world. But think about it. We are at a place, and I attribute this to the growth of the kingdom of God, to the increase of the kingdom. Whether or not people say, this is because what Jesus did, I think the effects of the kingdom are all over the planet. We've never had a time in human history where there's this much humanitarian focus of people wanting to take care of one another. I mean, the government even tries to do it. They just get it a little sideways, you know. But it's like you got people on the planet that care about people on the other side of the planet. That, that's never happened. That's just, that's something new. That's, that, I think that's a product of people believing the truth about who they are, wanting to walk out what Jesus has done within them, and we're seeing the increase of the kingdom. You know, you're seeing people want to take care of the planet better. That gets weird too, but, you know, the, the, the point being, people didn't care about the planet before. They worshipped the planet. Now we're wanting to take care of it, you know. People, people are nice, mostly. <laughs> you know, for most of human history, they were barbaric. And now we still have some barbarism happening. 
And we pray that that is ended. In fact, I pray even in this moment, Father, that those people begin to have revelations of who you are. Father, I thank you that the believers in those areas are so bold and so empowered by your spirit that they are living witnesses and testimonies to the people in those dark areas, people in the Middle East, people dealing with extremism, Lord. Thank you that your grace is alive. We speak life over those areas. We speak truth over those areas. Even more dreams that those people are having to encounter you and see you. More miracles, more love spreading in those areas, Father. Thank you for the growth of your love, for the knowledge of who you are spreading in that area. You know, what, what we don't hear is that there are Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists all over the planet coming to Christ by the droves. It's just happening. China. China. Yeah. Big I mean, you know, they say like a million a day. I mean, as long as we've been quoting that stat, everybody, I should all be saved by now. I don't know if that's right a million a day, but <laughs> it's a lot. <clears throat> so, did you find 2 Corinthians 10 yet? <laughs> For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. A stronghold is not a demon. A stronghold is a false belief. A demon can attach itself to a stronghold and fortify it and pack some sandbags around it and make it stronger and really grow it and paint it up and make it look all vicious and bold and mean and ugly. But the stronghold is the lie that you're believing. You remove the stronghold, they don't have anything to stand on. And sometimes you've got to get rid of them so you can work on removing the stronghold. So what you're casting down is lies, false beliefs. Casting down imaginations. See, it, he says it again, but in a different way. I love the way that King James uses it. It's imaginations. It's reasonings, if you look it up in the Greek. There's another word that a lot of translations use. Uh, basically, thoughts. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity. What are you bringing into captivity? Every thought to the obedience of Christ. You know, we've made it weird. Like we've got to go ask the demon what its name is, bind it up, take it to Jesus and make it submit. That is dumb. That is not at all what the scripture is saying. You're casting down these thoughts, right? And imaginations and beliefs. And if you've got to kick one of those little slippery things out in the process, you do it. <clears throat> but you do it this way. Go. You know why Jesus asked the demoniac his name? He was talking to the guy. He was trying to see, just how messed up are you, dude? Because when I ask you your name, if you tell me what that demon's saying, I know just how far gone you are. Yeah. And so when this demon answers, he's like, okay, I know where you are now. He's trying to get the guy to connect to who he was, not talking to the, the demons. We do some silly things, don't we? 
So we bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. In other words, you bring your thoughts captivity to what Christ was obedient to. So you make your thoughts come in alignment with what Jesus accomplished through his own obedience. Jesus lived and fulfilled the law on your behalf. When the enemy comes at you and tells you, you're going to hell because you keep doing this sin. I'm looking up here. <laughs> no, Jesus fulfilled the law on my behalf. I am delivered from the law. I am set free. I am made righteous in Christ. That's the truth of who I am. When the enemy comes at you and says, because of what you've done, you will never experience this. No, I, have all, I can do all things through Christ. I am a joint heir with Jesus. He has shared everything that he has with me. All his promises are yes and amen, no matter how many promises he's made. I mean, it's like we've got 90 million truths, give or take, for every lie that comes at us. And the moment it tips to where you actually believe the truth and feel the truth, man, that, it, that lie has no power over you. That sin will have no power over you. The moment grace, the grace tipping point happens where you realize, man, I really am this new creature. I really am this. Jesus really did change me. I mean, how many of you have things where it's like, you, did, you know, stuff just kind of falls off? Maybe right when you were born again the very first time, things changed for you. You know, for me, I, I didn't ever, I never said another profanity. It just dropped. And I had a sailor mouth before that. You know, the desire for drugs, just gone. Most of that's because I was so afraid at the moment, but it just, it just was gone. You know, that's, that's how it should be. Not everything instant and miraculous and all that, but just the, you know, the transformation that you're experiencing is not becoming more of a Christian. It's just experiencing more of what you've already become. Do you see the difference? And I wish the, I wish Christ, I wish the church knew that. Because then we could stop beating each other up. <laughs> then we could look at each other and realize... That's not really you. I see you just like God sees you. And what I know of you is what Christ has done in you. Now let's talk about that. It's so much so that he even, he even says that that's what even prophecy should be about. The, 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 uh, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Under the new covenant, when you prophesy, it should testify of Jesus in that person's life. Every word you ever give anyone should verify and testify of what Jesus has done in their life. You know, it's easy to prophesy when you're under the new covenant. You just tell the truth. Now, you might get words of knowledge and words of wisdom that you couple in with that and Maybe when we're done with this Dave Ramsey thing, Vicki will um, do that class for us, and it's really good going through and learning the difference and all that stuff. How many of you would be interested in a class like that? Yeah. Um, 
But it's, it, you know, let's, let's believe the truth. So, I don't have a whole lot of time, but I'm just going to go through this real fast. I wanted to look at Ephesians 6 and talk about the armor of God because, you know, it, it's, it's easier than we've made it out to be and it's less of a battle than we've made it out to be if you understand what he's saying. And it, 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 he's kind of giving you the picture of this new kind of being that you are. So... <clears throat> Ephesians 6.10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. That sounds like grace to me. Be strong in grace. Be strong in the Lord. So, 11, put on the full armor of God, of God so that you can take stand against the devil's schemes. Okay, so take stand against what? All right. We think we've got to yell and fight the devil. Really what you need to protect and guard yourself about is this little trickery stuff that's happening. You know, the, the distractions. Any Rolling Stones fans? You know, the Sympathy for the Devil song, he says, it's the nature of my, what's confusing you is the nature of my game. That's what he wants to do. He wants to confuse you. He wants to get you distracted off in something, not necessarily fight you, but get you distracted. That's what we have to guard against, the distractions, the confusion, the, the, the lies, the stuff, the stuff where we get off, you know. It's like they get a whirlpool going and you jump right in it and, man, there you go. Do you know what, do you know what I'm saying? Those distractions, when that confusion sets in, that could be a scheme of the enemy. And the moment you recognize it, you just stop. Nope. And then you do this. Uh, you resist. So th th that is resisting the devil. Not fighting, but resisting. James 4, 7 says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. They, they can't take it. So back to um, Ephesians 6, verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Did I skip one? Okay, so 12. Our, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So there is something going on with lying entities that try to come into your life, but the way you deal with them is, therefore, put on the full armor of God. And it, it's, it's really the same way, what he's saying is the same kind of thing when he says, Renew your mind. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is just a different way of saying it. You know, even back then, they had to figure out ways to say the exact same thing, different ways. I mean, that's the challenge of a preacher. You really don't have very much to say. You just got to say the same thing a bunch of different ways. That's what he's doing here. Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground after you've done everything to stand. Stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. You know, the waist, if, you, if you're a wrestler, you're into any kind of martial arts or anything like that, what you try to do is you try to get people off balance the waist. You know, if you're wrestling, you look at, you look at their midsection because that's where their waist goes, that's where they're going to go. And if that's buckled with truth, that's your balance point. The truth has to be your balance point. The truth has to be what you stand on, what you use to keep you in this place of... Knowing where you are. Does that make sense? So 
with the breastplate of righteousness in place. What does the breastplate protect? Your heart. Very good. Your heart, above all else, guards your heart. For out of it flow the issues of life. See, the breastplate of... And so what guards your heart? Righteousness. If the most important thing for you to do is guard your heart, he's telling us this is what guards your heart, righteousness. You have to be fully convinced that you're righteous to be able to withstand the distractions and the confusion that can come against you in this world. Do you see that? To me, it's pretty clear how that works together. The truth is that you're righteous. And if you don't believe the truth, you're in any area, and then all of a sudden your heart's not guarded. Right. And so Jesus keeps bringing us back to the truth. Right. Stand on the truth so that you will believe that you're righteous because it will guard your heart because out of your heart flows everything. Probably one of our biggest problems in this life is, and, and man, the church teaches it. You're not righteous. You're still a sinner. You've got a righteous nature and a sin nature. That is, a, that is totally contradictory of what God is saying to do here in this passage. Guard your heart with righteousness. Say, I am righteous. I am righteous. Completely. Completely. See, we have to realize righteousness is not a product of behavior. It's a position of standing. And it has to do with the kind of being that you are. You've been made a new being created in the image of God after righteousness and true holiness, it's that truth that guards your heart because out of your heart flow all the issues of life. And it's like a circle. It just keeps going, right? Righteousness guards your heart. Believe the truth that you're righteous. With your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Or it says, have your feet shod with the preparedness of the gospel of peace. In other words, Know how to preach this stuff or know what the truth is. Know what the gospel is, you know. What guides your steps is the gospel. And that's what Jesus said. Go into the world and preach the gospel. The gospel is Christ exchanged natures with all who would believe so that we would be righteous before the Father. I mean, it just all fits together. And there's a lot more that goes into this. And, and I think in that class that Vicki does, she goes into this a lot, but... In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil, of the evil one. And faith is just trusting God. You look up faith in the concordance, and it just means trust. Trust God. So you lead with trusting God. Not See, faith, we, we've kind of been taught that faith is like this crowbar that's in our hands, and we go into God's throne, and we try to get some things out of His hands with it. You know, it's like, I'm going to get something out of here. I'm, I'm going to do something here to get something. And it's like, no, faith is just trust. Lead with that. <clears throat> and pray in the Spirit. Uh-oh. <laughs> On all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Oh, you got to go bring everybody else into it now. We got to pray for them too. Like, I thought this was about me, God. You know, I'm, I'm being funny, but man, I'm telling you, we kind of get lulled into this, this selfish 
me kingdom perspective. It's like, okay, you've made me all these promises. I get to be rich. I get to be healthy. I get to be blessed. I get this. Well, why? Because there's a world out there that needs to see God. And they're going to see them through, they're going to see him through you. Will you let him glorify himself through you so that the world desires him? The reason you need to believe that he's good and that you are righteous. It's multifaceted. It's for you, yes. But probably one of the, the, one of the most amazing benefits of you being convinced of your righteousness and living out of that is the way it changes you and your behavior so that the world looks at you and says, I, I want God because of what's going on in that person's life. I want God to live and move through me, not because what I get out of it, because I, I trust that I get good things out of it, but because I want the world to know how good he is. You know, I want this place full. Because you know what that will mean? More people are hearing who, the goodness of who he really is, the kindness, the mercy, experiencing his love. I mean, you guys like it here, don't you? Yes. Let's get some more people in here. <laughs> and we're, Don't worry, we're not going to, you know, uh, Julie made sure that we weren't going to put up the board with a thermometer you know, and raise the level of souls saved or money or, you know, I mean, we're kind of bad at those campaigns around here because it's like, you know, it's just, that just stuff is just so, ugh. I just don't want to do that stuff. I want to be a community of people that we have such value for Jesus. That's why you come here. You come here to just be bathed in truth, to be built up, to learn, but to participate, to practice, to develop fellowship and relationships, not necessarily to get friends. I mean, if you need some friends, get some friends. <laughs> but fellowship is different, right? Fellowship is like, I might only see you once a week, but man, I know you're for me and you know I'm for you and we're doing something bigger than the both of us. That's fellowship. That's, that's relationship. If you want some friends, you know, get some friends. But there's a bigger purpose. You know, man, I, I just want to see it. I want to see people experience this stuff. Jesus. <clears throat> Love somebody. Love somebody this week. Tell them. Just, just look for opportunities to give them the gospel. Be willing. Put your hand out there. Amen.